When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's weird, it smells, and it's embarrassing. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Rolling near side, Keenan Fowler. He's got a touchdown! Diggs! Keenan, fake to him. Keenan, gonna dump it off! It's a touchdown! To the backup tight end, Morgan. Keenan sets it up near side, and the slide is good for a touchdown. It's right. Mackie and Judd, we have aliens chattering in our headphones here down at Target Center. So, Dave, if uh, if, if we go silent, just assume that we have been zapped up to outer space. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That, uh, our, Dave wouldn't our be too concerned takes, about that, Phil. I got uh, bad news for you. That our sports takes are so out of this world that aliens have, have taken us in to study us. It's time for Dave Harrigan. <laughs> Dave Harrigan's talking sports. All Dave right. and Jamal Crawford at uh, 11 o'clock today. So every week we do Vikings prop bets. We throw out various items and fun things uh, about the Vikings and sometimes their opponents. I'm going to start with, uh, with these three and then maybe add on to this for you gentlemen. All right? All right. Pat Shermer is having a wonderful season as an offensive coordinator. He has coordinated career games for Case Keenum and Sam Bradford, two historically very borderline starting quarterbacks. Bradford more talented, highly touted than Case Keenum. But everything Pat Shermer is putting out there as a coordinator is turning into gold this season. Here's the question. Will Pat Shermer be an NFL head coach in 2018? Um, I'll go first and answer absolutely. In fact, I wow. wrote I wrote last night on our site, 1500ESPN.com, that Pat Shermer has positioned himself per, uh, perfectly to get a head coaching job. Now, what some people might say is, didn't he get that chance once already? And the answer is absolutely. He did for two years in Cleveland. Look at the dysfunction of the Browns and understand you cannot hold a head coaching job in Cleveland against anybody. Pat Shermer succeeded um, Eric Mangini, who was in the job for two years. Uh, uh, Rob Chudzinski, I believe, came after Shermer and had the job for one year. These guys all just go to pasture, right? The next guy after that came in and was there for two years, and now Hugh Jackson's going to be fired after two years. So here's the thing about Shermer that's going to intrigue teams. What's going to intrigue teams about him is the fact that he spent uh, the summer planning an offense for Sam Bradford. And in that first game, as you said, Phil, Sam Bradford was fantastic. Then Bradford gets hurt, and you go to Case Keenum, and Case Keenum is successful. Pat Shermer is going to be perceived as a quarterback whisperer. What about the Chicago Bears? Mitch Trubisky is a guy who probably needs a coach who can help him along. So I think Pat Shermer has a very good chance to get a job. I think Judd's right. I don't think you can hold failing as a Cleveland Browns head coach against anybody. So I would say it's 
about 60 to 65 percent that yes he leaves here and becomes a head coach somewhere so i'm gonna say no i'm more in the dave camp of it's not like a sure thing you know there's always i think i think josh mcdaniel's gonna get a, another job as a head coach uh, I'd, I'd have to go look at like some of the other hot up-and-coming coordinators and other guys. I mean, John Gruden is rumored to be getting back into coaching. It's possible there's rumors that he might go back to Tampa Bay. So there's there's a chance um, he's going to get interviews. I'll say that. I don't think he becomes a coach. But can we say he failed in Cleveland now that we look at the last 20 years of Cleveland Browns football? When he won nine games over two years, that's eight more games than Hugh Jackson has won over two years yeah. as the Browns head coach. Yep. So we might have to reset our expectations for what success looks like if you're a, a former Cleveland Browns head coach. If you went 5-11, and 11, that is oh, you're that's great. the equivalent of the Patriots you're going, going 14-2. and two. People, yes. people need to start telling the Browns, you know what, I'm not even going to talk to you. In fact, I'm going to let that call go to voicemail. Well, didn't that? Ha- I think that happened with Josh McDaniel, didn't it? I think it did it? too, but more people have to do it. That job is absolute death. In fact, the last time... Well, Romeo Cornell was there for four years, yeah. and they did go 10-6, and six, but they missed the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs since 2002. Uh-huh. But the last guy to be there for more than four years was Bill Belichick. was there for five years before they moved to I was going to say, and that's, the, old, that's the, the Ravens franchise, yep. yes. And then before that, you got to go back to Marty Schottenheimer was yeah. there for uh, the better part of five years. So This version of the Browns, which I believe started in 99, is a dumpster fire, and it's a terrible team to coach. One playoff appearance for that version of the Browns. Kelly Holcomb, Only two years above seven wins. Yeah. So... Uh, all right, uh, prop bet or question number two here, Vikings prop bets. How many teams in the NFC are more likely to play in the Super Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium than the Vikings? So if you were the odds maker, how many teams in the NFC are more likely in your mind to play in the Super Bowl than the Vikings? Dave, you want to tackle this one first? Yeah, two. Rams, Eagles. Uh, that could change this Sunday if the Vikings have their way with the Rams, but I don't buy the Saints. I will not buy them. Uh, the Vikings did too much against that defense for me to buy them as a completely changed group. I think the Vikings are still the better team. Ooh, I'm going to, you know what? That was week one. The Saints were a, a work in progress at that point. You've got Drew Brees, a quarterback, and you've got a defense that since then has played pretty well. I'm going to say, I'm actually going to say the Eagles and the Saints but not the Rams. Okay. So I'm going to say two teams. I agree with Dave on the amount of teams, but I'm going to say Philadelphia and New Orleans, but the Vikings before the Rams. So Seattle would have been on my list before Russell uh, before Russell Sherman. I'm just combining all their best players. <laughs> He's just a great two-way yeah, player. Exactly. He He's is. gifted. Yeah, it's like it's the love child, apparently, between uh, that's weird. Uh, but now that Richard Sherman's out and Seattle's not going to win that division, so they're going to they're going to play as a wild card team on the road. They'd have to then win three games to get to the to the playoffs or get to the Super Bowl, I should say. So I'm with Dave. I think it's the Rams and I think it's the Eagles. Teams more likely than the Vikings to get to the Super Bowl from the NFC. But if the Vikings were to handle the Rams in any form this weekend, I would change on that. Because right. like the Rams are still very much in prove-it mode. All right, you've been a mostly mediocre to terrible team for a long time. You popped up. It's a second-year quarterback. Not that the Vikings have a trustworthy quarterback situation either. Uh, that's the unique thing about the NFC. The two teams at the top have second-year quarterbacks mm-hmm. that you're not totally sure about as you play December, January football. Mm -hmm. So if you're not fully sure about those guys, do you go back to like a Vikings team or a Seattle team? Or Drew Brees and the Saints. Or Drew Brees. That's what makes them intriguing to me is the quarterback. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, Here's the third one, gentlemen. Or did you answer, Judd? 
Yeah, you did. Yes, I'm I sorry. Did. I'm yes. spacing out. All yeah, right. I went. How many of the next four games will the Vikings win? So they play home against the Rams. This is a, the toughest part of the schedule for the Vikings this season. Mm-hmm. Home against the Rams, at Detroit, short rest Thanksgiving for both teams, at Atlanta, and then at Carolina. What will their record be in those four games? Oh, the defense is good enough. I, You know what? I'm going to be positive. Three wins. Whoa. I'm going to say they lose one of those games, uh, possibly to the Rams on Sunday, but they win three of those games more likely, they beat the Rams on Sunday at home. Uh, they beat Detroit on Thanksgiving. They lose, I would say, to the Falcons, and they beat Carolina. So I'm going to give them three wins. I'll be positive. I'm flipping a coin on all of them, to be honest. I'm not convinced they win. I'm not convinced they lose any of them. So I'm going to say it's an easy two and two. They probably win one of the next two, and they beat either Atlanta or or Carolina, but I have no idea to be honest. I'm with I'm with Dave again. Dave and I are in lockstep. Yeah, in you guys segment. are really. Uh, I, it's it's two and two, I think. And if if they can, if their goal can just be two and two, get out of this stretch with what's my math here? A nine and four record, and then you get Cincinnati, maybe a Rodgersless Green Bay team. Although Dave and I are in agreement on that as well. That if the Packers can go two and two in their next they're two games, gonna, Browns gonna, and Bucks, they won't risk them. Then they'll be seven and six. But um, if you can if you can go two and two in these next four games and then get to nine and four for for Bengals at home, on, Packers and, and Bears, go three and you one. could on. then go twelve and four. Come on, go three and one. No, go three I, and one. this defense, two two. This defense gonna, is good enough. They're gonna hit a lull. Their quarterback play isn't good enough and consistent enough to say that they're just gonna run through this thing and go thirteen and three. If they go three and one, yep. what you're saying is they're gonna be ten and three going into the easiest three game stretch of the year, that this is a thirteen and three team, maybe. So all, you're, you're projecting all, 13 and three. All I'm saying, Mr. Positive all here, I'm Judge say, All I'm saying, gentlemen, is that offensive uh, struggles can be overcome by Xavier Rhodes' pick sixes. That's all I'm saying. Skull. Uh huh. Don't forget the Skull. defense. And Jer- and they are going to. I I'm telling you, on Sunday they're going to give Jared got problems. Some guy just walked by in the Skyway here outside Target Center and was staring at me as I did the Skull chant and just rolled his eyes. <laughs> Oh, good for him. He was exactly right. That's right. Get off the bandwagon, buddy. He was exactly 13 right. 13 and 3. I gave the trade's coming down the track. Who said I'm negative? Uh, so there it is. Our Vikings prop bets for the week. We've got Jamal Crawford here from Target Center in about 45 minutes from now. If you missed the Paul Molitor interview in the 9 o'clock hour, he was uh, very insightful coming off winning the American League Manager of the Year Award. We're going to replay that at some point in the noon hour. Mike Golick Jr. will join to talk football. Let's come back. Let's stay on Vikings. Matthew Collar brought up something about Mike Zimmer when you're talking about reasons for the Vikings' success this year and uh, and things going so well through the first nine games. Something that was, pun intended, overlooked in the first couple months? Oh, stop. Mackie and Judd. Now the team's live for the kickoff. Referee blows his whistle. Mackie and Judd now continue. And the game is on. On 1500 ESPN. Yeah, I'm just looking at the schedule more. Rams, 2-2 two and two would be a win out of these four games. Rams are maybe the best team in the NFC. I mean, I know the Eagles have the best record, but the Rams have been incredible. Detroit on the road, Thanksgiving, I mean, that's you know, that's not a pushover team, and it's a road game, and it's short rest, and weird things can happen. Yeah, that's a huge game for you. And then at Atlanta, at Carolina, those are two potential playoff teams fighting for uh, for the division there. So, like, you wouldn't look at any of those four games and say, oh, yeah, I mean, that's the Vikings are heavily favored uh, in, in those four games. Those are all, like Dave said, kind of coin flip games coming up. 
And if you can win the coin flip twice and mm-hmm. get to nine and four going into the easy, easy-ish three-game stretch to end it, you're in big-time business. And you probably win the division if you go two and two the next two games. So if, if your defense is playing its best, though, in this next uh, four-game sequence, you've got a chance to frustrate Goff because he's young and if you can get him off his game. You've got a chance against Detroit. Stafford's good, but but you've got a chance. Atlanta might be a little bit tougher, but then Cam for sure. If you if you start to get to Cam, Cam's going to start to give up. So and they had Cam looked awful I think against the Vikings last here. year. Yes, he did. But I I think the key with Cam is this: if Cam thinks he can start to run and Cam can start to play his game, Cam's in very good shape. If Cam drops back the first few times and gets smacked, I think Cam says this is not going to be my day. Yeah, see, Cam, Cam only Cam. has about one one or two touchdown passes the last few weeks combined. He's been doing most of his damage on the ground. He be, I think he just became one of the only quarterbacks ever to get to 4,000 yards rushing mm-hmm. in his career. So the good news for the Vikings, they I think they're better equipped, and we're looking a month down the road with that game, but... They're better equipped now than in most years to handle the mobile quarterback outside the pocket. Anthony Barr can keep up, right? Eric Kendricks has legs. Uh, Harrison Smith and and Trey Waynes are wonderful tacklers. So so they should be able to, to contain there. All right. Matthew Collar brought up yesterday a really interesting point about the Vikings' success this year. And we've been praising Pat Shermer, Case Keenum, offensive line, there's a number of things that you could go down the list, and maybe you wouldn't get to this thing until after you've already named 10 things, but it does matter. Last year, when the Vikings were crumbling in the second half after a 5-0 start, Mike Zimmer was busy missing a game, eye surgeries. When he wasn't having eye surgery, he was, he was worried about not looking at various light sources, a patch on his eye. Yeah, he had what three or four surgeries, correct? Yes. During the season, he had surgeries in yep. the off season. I mean, he was uh, he, he was stuck for like two months at his home in in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And from what we know, this season that hasn't been an issue at all, right? I mean, right. I'm sure his eye still has some residual effects. But yeah, and, it's not been it's not been something where where I've read that he's missed a practice, yeah. or anything. And I, no. I and I would paint it this way: when you wake up in the morning. Everybody starts with a certain percentage of mental bandwidth. You wake up in the morning and uh, and and you can't just think and strategize and work. You can't just there's a there's a limit to what you're able to produce mentally for any given day. And then you got to recharge it, eat, sleep, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you start your day, and I mean, and you and I like you and I have gone through personal things this year where you start your day and maybe you're only at seventy percent mental capacity because you're worried about your your sick parent or whatever it may be. And if you're Mike Zimmer and you wake up in the morning last year. And 30% of your mental bandwidth is tied up in my eye and doctor's appointment and worrying about medication and this and that. And, and oh, I got to get in the, into the office. And if you take that part out and you can devote an extra 20 to 25 to 30%, I'm making these numbers up, mental bandwidth to football and planning and building relationships with players and coaches, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, a small detail. I don't think that should be overlooked. And last year is an intriguing discussion because um, short of 2010, which I don't think it reached, there were a ton of things that went wrong. Some of them were the Vikings' fault. Some of them could have been corrected and weren't, but some of them weren't. I mean, your tackles get hurt. Your running back goes out. You're playing at some, in what, in Appleton, Wisconsin, get stuck in the mud and you have to be. There were a lot of weird things that affected this team. 
the issue that we saw, and I'll, I'll go, go back to, to what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, the issue that, that we saw, and my question is, okay, of the things that went wrong that you could have controlled and you didn't correctly control them, what did you learn from them? What did you? What are you doing differently? And my sense is that the Vikings did learn from those things. My sense is that, in, in retrospect, Zimmer's first mistake of 2016 probably occurred in January. If you're going to hire, and, and we did not criticize this at the time, but in retrospect, if you're going to bring Shermer in and name him tight ends coach, guess what? It's probably not going to work because Norv's going to say, whoa, 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 this guy's been a head coach, a coordinator, and now he's going to come to, to the table with his offensive ideas. So what I like is the fact that it does appear to me that Zimmer and probably Spielman as well looked at what they did in 2016 that they could have controlled that went wrong and corrected those things. They didn't just say, no, you know what, bleep it, bad year, not my fault. Zimmer clearly sat down with players and said, what did I do wrong last year? What didn't you like? And and you don't do that, I don't think, with your entire roster, but you probably take a group of players that you trust, who you like, and you say, what did I do as a boss that wasn't effective? And they say, oh, okay, yeah, this, this, and this. So where I credit these guys is it does appear to me that they are in no way so far repeating the mistakes that that they could have controlled and didn't correctly in 2016. Yeah, and there's and there's measurable results that follow that too. I mean, we talked about the offensive line, but just to put a measurement on it, Football Outsiders tracks all kinds of offensive line data. It's actually if you're a hardcore football geek, uh, Football Outsiders and Pro Football Focus are invaluable resources. I mean, teams subscribe to larger packages of scouting information from these. And, and there's some stuff that's free for fans. And one thing that's been tracked this year, offensive line success. It's not just like sack rate, although although that plays into it too. Uh, it's adjusted for competition. So if if you played three high school teams and gave up no sacks, but then I played the Pittsburgh Steelers three times and gave up four sacks, well, like that's probably more impressive than playing high school teams. So Adjusted for context, adjusted for competition, the Vikings' offensive line in the pass protection game, second in the NFL, behind mm-hmm. only Pittsburgh. Wow. Second in the NFL this season. If you take it back to 2015, and this is where the, whoa, but Teddy's numbers were mediocre in 2015, the Vikings' offensive line, pass protection, was 29th in the NFL. They allowed 45 sacks. And that's not like the quarterback hanging out of the ball too long. Yeah. This is just... Offensive line performance against the against uh, defensive pass rushes. 29th in the league in 2015, up to second in the league this year. So you can that shows you, hey, credit to Case Keenan, but you could put a potted plant behind the line of scrimmage, and he's going to have a league average quarterback rating because the offensive line has been that good. It's been that much of a turnaround. They have offensively, um, and this goes from quarterback to the entire thing, they have offensively done a fantastic job. And this is... I, other than 2009, which was Favre driven, Favre ran that offense. But besides 2009, Phil, I can't tell you a year. Maybe when Culpepper was was an MVP candidate, I think in 2004. Other than that, I can't tell you the last time that I've been this impressed by an offensive approach by this team. I mean, this is why the coordinators drove me nuts. Perfect example of of we got a sneak peek at what Shermer was going to do. And, and he's now uh, gone and done this. But sneak peek last year was this. At some point in time when Norv quit, 
somebody, either Bradford or Shermer or a combination, said, why don't we play Cordero Patterson? And I'm sure the response was, well, he can't run routes. And somebody said, oh, okay, he can't run routes. I know that. But he can run. But he can run, and he's a freak. <laughs> yeah. And he's a free. And and when you see him return kicks, don't you think that if we put that into our offense, it's going to help? What I like about this uh, offense is it is adjusted to fit to the personnel. And and what, whether that's uh, Spielman going out and getting guys that fit it, or Shermer saying, you know what, this guy does this well, so let's use it. They are running an offense that makes sense now. And how many times do we see a Vikings offense that was set in its ways? And damn it, we're going to do. If Cordell can't run a route, he's going to pay the price. He's not going to play. Well, guess what? That hurts you, yeah, he's not a, him. He's a first-round pick. Yeah, yes. Totally agree. And this is, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, this is the first time in a long time, maybe since 2009, where everything just feels like it fits together. There's just a when you when you watch the Vikings offense from like 2011 through last year, the the Peter the end of the Peterson era. Mm-hmm. Sure, there were tons of games where they were productive and they they'd score 40 points or they blow somebody out, but it didn't always feel free flowing and like all the pieces fit. It felt like you had the Adrian Peterson component and then you had like some semblance of a passing game, and the offensive line was kind of clunky. Now it feels like everything was put together and molded specifically for a quarterback to run the show, and then everything kind of works out. And the, the personnel works. Now. Yeah, it's, yes. it, it it's more of a feel. Like it's hard to quantify. It just it just feels more free it do- flowing. It doesn't feel like like it's being catered to a certain spot besides QB, which you should do. Yeah, which you if you if you sit down with your offense in this era and say, okay, we got a really good running back. In fact, you know what? Let's design the, the offense around him. You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. You sit down. But what Shermer's done that has been so smart is he took what he designed for Bradford and morphed it now to Keenum. There are a lot of guys who who would have said, I don't care who's playing quarterback. You're going to do what I want. It appears to me that clearly they adjusted things and have been w- willing to say, all right, Case can do this, this, and this, and he can't do this, this, and this. We're going to do what he does well, not we're going to do what I think we should do because, darn it, that's how I run an offense. So uh, Vikings and Rams this weekend, and that's a noon kickoff time. There was some speculation maybe they would, uh, they'd flex it or move it, but Fox has the rights to that game, and, and they have protected it, so it's a noon game. And you can find Vikings Ventline right after it's over, right around 3 o'clock, immediately after the final whistle, 1500 ESPN and 1500ESPN.com. We also have a lot of live streaming and video content, including Ventline, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. So go give it a follow or a like if you haven't already. We're at Target Center today. Jamal Crawford set to join, scheduled to join after shoot-around, so maybe in like a half hour from now. Uh, Quarterback cesspool challenge at 1130. Mike Gola Jr., and if you missed Paul Molitor earlier, we will replay that later on in the show in the noon hour. Mackie and Judd, what's some stuff we should know about today, Dave? Several college basketball nuggets to get to. We've got a test of how well you guys know your cesspool quality quarterbacks, and it is Wednesday, so a little wrestling promo to get to as well. Nice, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. I think all the pieces are there. On 1500 ESPN. And Stuff You Should Know About is sponsored by Indeed.com. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. Post your next job opening on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Woo-hoo! 
In sports, there's a lot of stuff you should simply be aware of. There was stuff going on that no one talked about. That's pretty heavy stuff. Let me show you some stuff. I don't do that stuff no more. This stuff can give you brain damage. And then there's the stuff you should know about. Lots of great stuff. This is the fun stuff. I love this stuff. Good stuff. Man, this stuff's good. This is that kind of stuff. I want to check that stuff out. Mackie and Judd now continues. This is very serious stuff we're talking about here. With stuff you should know about. All right, Dave Harrigan, what type of stuff do you got for us? Let's see how smart you guys are when it comes to cesspool quarterbacks. The worst of the worst. We will get to our challenge next hour, but for now... Sporting News has a piece up, boys. It is simply titled, The Worst Ever Starting Quarterback for Every NFL Team. Wow. There are four teams in the NFC North. Let's keep it in the division. Can you name one or two, three? Maybe you can do all four of the worst starting quarterbacks in the history of the four franchises of the NFC North. Give is, it a shot. Is this Holy just God. one one start is all you had to make, or are we talking about a certain amount of starts? I believe they've all made multiple starts, but... I got, I got one of them. I all mean, right. I went through the list, and a lot of them have not made many starts. Others were around for at least a few years and just continued to be right. terrible. I, I got one. Oh, I got one. I think, well, the Lions is a coin flip between two guys. I'll give you, I'll give you one. Uh, Dan Orlovsky. Uh-huh. No, I, I'm going. Drew Drew Henson. I, I'm going to say because he was such a train wreck and he was paid so much. Scott Mitchell's got to be a candidate. All of those are incorrect. Really? It's not Charlie Batch, is it? It is not Charlie. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's been so many Lions Very quarterbacks. Very high draft there. pick. Oh, uh, 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 Rodney Pete. <laughs> no, no, the kid. Um, Joey Harrington. Joey Harrington. Harrington. I forgot about Joey Harrington. That's right. Yeah, he deserves it. Uh, Wow. Uh, Vikings. So many delicious, juicy (laughs) options here. We could spend four hours on this one and not get it. It has to be. Who who was that dude who played in like 2001 with the funny name? You got him. Spurgeon Spurgeon win. Spurgeon win. Put it on the board. Uh, Packers. Scott Tolzien? This one's going back a little ways. Oh, Judd's got to come through for us on this one. Oh, it's it, it's probably from, uh, I can't think of his name. It's probably the guy from the 70s who was just awful after uh, Bart Starr. He was actually the guy that led right into Don Mikowski. Into, into the Magic Man? Yeah, so he was there for, I think, about a three, four, five-year period. I'm not positive. Yeah, I got nothing I there. Do. Who? It is Randy Wright. Oh, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have got that in a million years. Right? I'm, still try, I'm still trying to... The yeah. Bears now, huh? Chicago oh, Bears. So it's not like a Kyle Orton. You're going way back for the Bears, too. He was there from 75 to 84 and made 50 starts over that time. Wow. So they kept him in. So this is before Jim McMahon became the starting yes. quarterback, huh? That's Judd's territory. So that that was the guy handing the ball to Walter Payton, basically, not, for 10 years. Not Vince Evans. No. Because I don't think he was there. Uh, he, he was there in the 80s, but not going back to 75. Bobby Douglas was there. Isn't it funny? Like, I don't know. They could have just ran Wildcat with uh, Walter Payton. Their coordinators would have been. I got it here. It's um, it's this Bob Avellini, right? That is correct. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't have got that. Bob Avellini. Avellini. Avellini? Yes. Bob Avellini. Naga, naga, naga. I don't work here anymore anyway. <laughs> that's, a re- that's a remarkable list because the Vikings, 
the Bears and Detroit's lists, you could spend hours trying to succinctly find one. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Green Bay Green Bay has had some bad ones, but they've also had such a long run of great QB play and then Bart Starr in the 60s. The other three teams truly deliciously embrace the cesspool. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, I am, I am offended by the omission of Dan Orlovsky. Not only did he run through the back of the end zone in fear for his life, Jared Allen chasing him around for a safety. Great moment. In his seven games with the with the Lions that he started, they went 0-7, and he threw eight interceptions to eight touchdowns. Was god-awful. So, Joey Harrington, that was kind of the Joey Harrington era, too. He might have taken over for Joey Harrington. Joey Harrington was just a Woof. hot mess. You guys watch any college hoops last night? A couple big games back-to-back. Yeah, I did not. I watched the majority of uh, the Duke-Michigan State game. Yeah, well, uh, the other one was Kansas-Kentucky. Kansas had to uh, play without freshman forward Billy Preston. He got in a car accident recently, and it's not because he was injured in the accident, but simply uh, well, a little bit of an issue. Uh, this was Coach Bill Self's statement. On Saturday, Billy was involved in a single-vehicle incident on campus. There were no injuries, but Billy's car sustained damage. After I learned about the incident, I reported it to our administration. The administration determined that we needed a clearer financial picture specific to the vehicle. We decided to hold him out of tonight's game, and we'll continue to do that until the review is complete. A clearer financial picture? Of the vehicle. Yes. In other words, how in the hell did he get that nice of a car? That makes sense. Well, because <laughs> they were cheating. I love now we're going to now Bill, <laughs> now Bill Self is going to play the old. I have no idea. How did he get the Aston Martin? I don't know. That's because, uh, yeah, because yeah. Kansas was uh, cheating to try to win basketball games. How does about the, that Does idea? the car have an Adidas logo on it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, halftime of that game, Coach John Calipari from Kentucky, he was uh, having a little chat with Maria Taylor, ESPN, and did, I guess, what you would normally do. He's trying to get close so he can hear, and he puts his hand on her arm, and he's kind of holding her arm, and then we got the uncomfortable moment. And my guys act like they want to re- We want to win. No, you don't want to win, or you would rebound these balls. And Kansas is out hustling us. But I'll say this. Really proud of a bunch of Frenchmen. Might have your arm really hard. It's really tight. But I'm not your player. Yeah, he was oh. like he was like he was like grabbing grabbing her arm. Who was that again? Um Maria, Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor. The, the sideline oh, reporter. She's also wow. on NFL Game Day for or I'm sorry, uh, college football game day. I'm not your player. It was it was really it was like kind of creepy old guy moving in a little bit, and you couldn't tell if he was just being oblivious old guy or yeah. if it was creepy old guy, but yeah, John Calipari. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised some that, that, in that, closet, that he Phil? wasn't part of the first wave of... Uh... You think there's a few skeletons in that old closet? Yeah, probably. Meanwhile, Judd was chuckling at the rebound these balls line grow up. What? You would expect nothing less from me, Dave. You would expect absolutely nothing less from me. That was great when you snicker into the microphone and like, everyone knows why you're snickering. He said it and it was funny. He, he said, said balls. balls. <laughs> <laughs> funny. I, I would expect nothing less from my. I'd be. I'm going to be disappointed the first time I don't do, do that. Something's wrong with me. Well, there's probably something wrong with you before. <laughs> well, that, that's but, definitely uh, true. But I mean, something else wrong. There's a lot wrong. Yeah, there's a lot to choose you. from, David. And now Phil Mackey does everything he can to ignore reality and defend a hero of his youth, despite knowing in his heart that hero is broken beyond repair. Philip, did you see the latest Tiger rumors? Uh, no. I, I must have missed these yesterday. Courtesy of Ricky Fowler. 
Dylan Dethier writes for Golf.com. He tweeted out, um, actually, yeah, it was just yesterday, asked Ricky if the rumors are true that Tiger's been hitting it by him in practice. Ricky said, quote, Oh, yeah. Wow. Way <laughs> by. Yeah, and you guys doubted his oh. ability to return to top form. I think the question now shifts 100%. to, will he win two or three majors in the summer of 2018? Because <laughs> oh. I think, well, one's again, like he's for sure going to win the Masters. And then and then from there, it's just a matter of, you know, what kind of what kind of courses are we talking about? Why Familiarity. Do you, why do you do this to yourself? Why do you do this? Listen, I, just because you want to be a Buzz Killington every time we get on to one of these conversations, don't drag me down with your he was into a your well of negativity. Hero. It's over. Reach back. Remember the great moments. They're gone. Oh, uh, Ricky the, Fowler, one of the best golfers the in the world, and Tiger Woods is blowing drives 100 yards past him in practice rounds And right for now. clarity's sake, Ricky Fowler, 41st in the PGA as far as driving distance last yeah, year. So, so not hot. a bomber, but I mean, come on. He's All right, so doing, Tiger Woods rolls yourself. out of bed after nine surgeries, and he's like top 10 and driving distance already, <laughs> and you guys want to dog him. That's fine. Yes. Whatever. Yes. I want to help you. Watching SmackDown last night, Phil? Not a huge SmackDown guy. Um, more of a Raw guy myself, but, you know, there's some storylines. The moment got all the feels, all the goosebumps going when Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter, took the SmackDown women's title. Okay. Exited the ring with that belt held high above her head, smiling to the crowd, walking up the ramp, and then the music changed. Congratulations to the queen. She's got to be up. And her dad, Ric Flair, walked out onto the stage to give her a hug, making his return to the WWE TV. You know, old Rick ain't looking... He's... It's we're not looking too we're good gonna these milk days, this, dude. aren't we? For all, all it's worth. Oh, well, hell he, yeah, we so are. So Rick just drops on us. We're gonna milk yeah. this one. We got the thirty for thirty. The moment yep. last night, and it just so happens there's a nice long piece written by <clears throat> Charlotte Flair on <laughs> Players Tribune about her dad today. All right. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, Ric Flair is he's been a regular on WWE TV for a long time up until he got sick like three months ago. Mm -hmm. So for him to make an appearance is not unusual. But they are milking this thirty for thirty publicity as much. The WWE shamelessly milking say, promotion. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, I'm by, shocked by by them doing this. Yes. <gasps> Well, let's promote them a little more. But it's a couple wrestlers who are no longer with us in the wrestling promo of the week before we get to Phil Mackey's TCL spot <coughs> coming up. <laughs> that is a good on-air production meeting right That's there. right. We call them the Ultimate Maniacs. That was when the Ultimate Warrior oh my God. and the Macho Man Randy Savage oh God. joined forces, boys. Listen for the animalistic grunts of Warrior as uh, Savage is speaking at the start here. Oh, yeah, for one split second in time, let the world stop, yeah. Congratulate, yeah. Along with the Ultimate Warrior and the Macho Man Randy Savage and all the Ultimate Maniacs all around the world, yeah. You, Brett the Hitman Hart, capturing the gold, yeah. And too bad for you, Red Flair, and too bad for your buddy that has fool's gold around his neck. Now we'll see if you're as tough as the ultimate maniac, because we bend down and we make the comeback. But don't call it a comeback, because 
in there somewhere he was they're wearing kind of sunglass things but they have words across the the lenses uh machos said ultimate and warriors said maniacs uh did you know dave harrigan uh i believe so so they were promoting the uh, the survivor series matchup there i think he got released the warrior before that match took place i don't think he was with the wwf much longer than that promo really? that might have been his last ever promo <laughs> until he came back again later shades of maniacism it's hard to define uh, or whatever the hell he just said. Uh, yeah, the line between being a maniac yes. and being a lunatic did is the, hard to define. Did the grunts turn into snores at one point? I believe it they sounded did, like he yeah. started snoring. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, I thought I heard a snore. I'm gonna have to go look grunt. that video up now. That's that is something right there. All right. Uh, all right, we have Jamal Crawford scheduled to join any time here in the next 15, 20 minutes. Could be in five minutes. They have a shoot-around. Whenever that's over, Jamal Crawford is scheduled to join us. So we'll get to that. But Judd Zolgad, I want to tell the audience about the fastest-rising TV company in America. It is America's fastest-growing TV brand, TCL TVs. And they are giving you, Wolves fan, a great chance to see the Timberwolves play here at Target Center on November 22nd against the Magic. So let, let me set this up for you. If you go to 1500ESPN.com and enter the keyword TCL, you can win four tickets to see the Wolves take on the Magic from a TCL theater box. Now, the TCL theater box offers dramatic views of the brand-new renovated Target Center and a VIP experience unlike any other. We're talking five-star cuisine, a lounge area, oversized chairs, it's the best way to watch a Wolves game, and it's a private area that you don't get access to unless you head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword TCL, for your chance to win four tickets to see the Wolves and the Magic from a TCL theater box at Target Center, where we are broadcasting right now, actually. Not from the theater box. We don't have that kind of access. But Mackie and Judd back from the Target Center Skyway momentarily. Phil Mackie, Judd Zogan. Truly outrageous, egregious, and offensive. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV? Join Judd at Lucky's 13 in Bloomington this Saturday from 3 to 5 for the ultimate college football viewing party with Dos Equis. Enjoy an ice-cold beverage and register to win that new TV. Put game day over everything this college football season with Dos Equis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. More details at 1500ASPN.com, boys. All right. Thank you, Dave Harrigan, Mackie and Judd, downtown Minneapolis today until 1 o'clock at Target Center. 
couple hours to go. We're going to replay Paul Molitor in the noon, probably around 1230 if you missed it. It was a, a great wide-ranging interview, American League Manager of the Year, uh, Mike Golick Jr., Jamal Crawford coming up shortly. I have a nugget here from Mickey Calloway. This was a quote in a story. I think it was New York Daily News, I want to say. He's the Mets manager yeah, now. Just got the job. Mickey Calloway was the uh, Indians pitching coach under Terry Francona. He worked very closely, had a great relationship with Derek Falvey. And I had heard some buzz last year that if Derek Falvey could find a way to get Mickey Calloway into a Twins uniform, that you know that, that would have been a, a huge move for him. Now, I don't know how much they had conversations about the managerial job. Paul Molitor got the extension. But just to give you a glimpse into the Indians' pitching philosophies, which Derek Falvey had a huge hand in, and what might be happening behind the scenes with the Twins, I'm going to read you a couple excerpts here, and then we can just kind of pause and get your reaction on this. Mickey Calloway talking about the Indians' philosophies and what he's going to bring to the Mets, and then think as a Twins fan what they might be doing behind the scenes with the Twins because Falvey, Calloway, Indians. It starts with being healthy, Calloway said, which goes back to the research the Indians did. Uh, Actually, this is from the article. Uh, Some of it was as simple as having players give the trainer a urine sample every day upon arriving to the clubhouse so their hydration levels could be measured. Quote from Calloway, if the players weren't hydrated properly, they weren't allowed to go on the field. When they're hydrated, they're less likely to pull a muscle. In addition, the team has all of its players wear modus sleeves, a high-tech device that measures the level of stress on the elbow as pitchers go through various activities on days they weren't pitching in games, from playing catch on flat ground to throwing a bullpen off a mound to long tossing. Quote, we found the most stressful activity on the elbow was when they were lobbing the ball, just playing catch at the very beginning of their catch games. It's because they're not using their bodies, their legs, to throw, and their arms are late. So when they stride out to use their legs, their mechanics uh, they're going to use in the game, their arm gets into a high cock position, yada, yada. The point is they make them always play catch like from pitcher motions. So that's when we started telling our pitchers that every time they throw, even if it's just playing catch, they should throw as if they're pitching in a game. Interesting stuff here, like monitoring urine samples to yes. make sure that guys are hydrated. Well, and and that, that's why when we talked to Paul, I asked him about what things he sort of embraced that have changed. Is there any I – mean, every sport is changing and evolving, and and you can point to something in every single sport that's changed. Is there any sport that is changing as quickly as baseball, though? Is there any sport? And, and I'm not just talking about uh, statistical analysis. I'm talking about approaches. I'm talking about thought processes. I'm talking about things that have been this way for 75 years being turned on their heads completely. I, I saw something, actually, and it might have been for the same thing, that the Mets, other than uh, DeGrom and Syndergaard, I believe the Mets are now intent on allowing their starters to go twice through, uh, through the lineups next year. And then they're going to lift their pitchers, their starters, because their research shows the third time through, most of their guys got hammered. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that, but then, like, at what point, if that's going to be your strategy, you're only going to get four innings out of a lot of starters. Mm-hmm. So you better have a plan for that going forward. 